Welcome to the Diggernet podcast, the podcast about sharing insights and exploring topics that impact soldiers' work in the land domain. I'm your host, Curtis McGrath, a former combat engineer turned Paralympic gold medalist. Join me on this journey of insight and stories to enhance your professionalism. Let's jump in. Welcome back. My guest today is Corporal Quinn Jensen who in 2021 was a section commander during Operation High Road Neo, which is a non-combatant evacuation operation in Kabul. So welcome, Quinn, and thank you for joining us. No, thanks for having me on. Um, so let's, this is a pretty crazy, I remember what I was doing in 2021. I was pre- prepping to go to the Tokyo Paralympic Games and seeing what was happening in Afghanistan after being deployed there was heartbreaking mm. and crazy like just the amount of media coverage that was there the, the videos and, and the, the footage we saw at the airport and everything obviously we'll get to what that was like on the ground later but for yourself leading into obviously maybe a phone call or was the boss at knockoff parade like what how did how did all this start for you so yeah essentially we were just about getting ready for a boozer parade so around lunchtime on a friday we get the rct recall so like ready combat team recall and so basically the entire battalion just started prepping kit from then on. Um, still, like any operation, especially uh, like short notice ones, we weren't really thinking anything of it. It was just probably another rehearsal. I'll believe it when I'm there type thing. Exactly yep. right, yeah. Um, but yeah, essentially we just started prepping kit on Friday mid, um, about midday and uh, we ended up deploying on the Monday. So a lot of long days over that weekend. Um, and yeah, we deployed Monday, uh, moved into um, AMAB, from there, and then on the Wednesday around midnight, we went into Afghanistan. So the whole situation that was happening in Afghanistan, uh, I'd, I'd been there, but I'd only been down, well, actually, I'd been to Kabul, but in a different capacity mm. than yourself. But you know, we were there to help support the Afghan government in order to you know, help their security um, against insurgency like the Taliban, and then in 2021, the Americans start decide that they're going to pull out. There's, they've got this hard date, and it's chaos. And leading up to your your land, your boots on the ground situation, do you remember you know, the excitement of it, or was it more like nervousness? Um, it was definitely excitement. Yeah, um, it's sort of like the Super Bowl for an infantry. Is um, you finally get the the big gig. So everyone was just top of the world and it's like you get picked for the team to go on you get on the plane you still don't believe it so yeah it's definitely a lot of excitement and it wasn't really until we got onto the plane to go into Afghanistan that it's like oh my god this is real um so yeah definitely just a lot of excitement a lot of yeah a lot of adrenaline going on the whole situation is just as I said it before it was crazy so mm. what exactly was going to be your role once you landed so our main task was essentially that we're We've got sort of a list of priority people to evacuate. So being Australian citizens, our visa holders, anyone who sort of worked with Australian forces, being interpreters or whoever worked at the embassy and stuff like that. Um, and then there was just a group of sort of like VIP people that uh, the government has given asylum to essentially. Like for example, was like the Afghanistan women's soccer team. They got asylum through us because they were obviously a very heavily targeted group of people. Um, and yeah, essentially our job was to, we moved out to the gates um, of the airport itself 
And we were just finding people, bringing them in, making sure they are safe, and then sending them back to AMAB, where they would then um, hang around dealing with all the visa processes with DFAT and the like, and then they would move into Australia. We'll, we'll go back a little bit. So when you get you flew in on a C-17 or... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So obviously ramp goes down. It's, yeah. it's not Pearl Harbor or, or, I mean, Omaha Beach, but it's obviously different completely yeah. different there's i don't know helicopters flying around there's planes trying to take off yeah it was pretty surreal uh when we arrived because it was my first time in afghanistan so i wasn't really sure what to expect but um even talking to some of the lads who have been there multiple occasions being like sergeant csms and what like um yeah just pure chaos so we arrive on um, on the plane um a few of the, like the up armored suvs drive out and as you walk out there's planes like coming in, flying out at top speed because obviously just the threat level, there's helicopters buzzing. You hear contacts just outside the range fence um, or the airport fence and um, just thousands of soldiers and civilians just running around trying to find... Like, inside the wire or the yeah, fence. So yeah, inside say. the airport, like on the runway itself, there's just like lines of Afghani um, refugees like getting moved on by say like an american call sign who were trying to find a plane for them to chuck them on and yeah just and they're all just carrying everything they could uh babies just there's stuff going on everywhere so it, and you, you're getting off this plane not really knowing what you're expecting and you're immediately just hit by this like wave of the, obviously you know the smell like the smell mm, of the it, dust the, the dust yeah, the garbage the yeah. burnings yeah. and just like that mixed with all the jet fuel and all the heat and ex like stuff like that from the actual airport itself was just it's a real smack to the face really yeah it's a yeah. hot dry place yeah from my memory um so when you you come off the plane and you get sort of briefed on your this this is what you're going to be doing or are you doing that on the plane or uh no so it was when we got off the plane, we sort of moved to um, this AMK9 unit, which like this facility there that there was an American K9, I guess, team that used to operate out of it, but we sort of took over that. And so once we got there, we sort of like, okay, what are we doing? How, how are we achieving it and whatever else? So there wasn't really a set out plan because um, I think our CO had only been there about 12 hours by this point as well. Um, so we got there and eventually got our plan, which was my platoon, um, was going to move to the Abbey Gate and that's where we were going to set out of um, and bounce between the Abbey Gate and the East Gate at the time, essentially, and just find, like, Australian citizens, visa holders and the like, chuck them in the back of a car that we stole over there, which was this um, big F truck that the US Air Force um, didn't need anymore, and um, essentially would drive them to this AMK9 facility and from there another platoon was situated there in the North Gate and they would basically, with the DFAT officials, they would process that initial sort of stuff before we could um, chuck them on a plane and get them out of there. Yeah, right. And in the lead up to this, obviously there's a lot of emotion and adrenaline flowing. Do, do you think there was your, your you and your team, specifically your brick section, your section, section component, yeah, section, um, had good sort of nutrition, good sleep leading into it because you knew it was going to be fast paced? Yeah, for, for the most part, we tr we tried as best as we could in the situation. So because uh, it was such a short notice task um, and we had to do so much prep over the weekend, the weekend before there was barely any sleep. And even when you got home, you're so pumped and excited, you're not getting much sleep at all. And then due to the COVID situation at the time, 
the plane to get out of Australia, we had to sit on that plane for 24 hours straight because we couldn't actually get off at the various airports because if one of us got COVID, mission awesome. failure essentially. Awesome. Love so that. the only real sleep we got was basically the day in AMAB for the 24 to 36-hour period before we actually went into Afghan when we weren't working, which wasn't like not much time, but just that initial bit of sleep. But again... Like, you know how it is. Everyone's yeah. so excited and pumped. and The time change as well. and yeah, 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 100%. So I'd say, like, we were already probably pretty fatigued before going into Afghanistan, but just the excitement and the adrenaline, just, like, you didn't really notice it at first. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. So when, when something exciting happens, there's so much, I, I don't know, just emotion and, and mm. adrenaline and everything, and you can just run off that for a while. But then... Yeah three to four days in, you know, you're, you're starting to see, you're getting a little bit of a flow, you're getting a bit of a feel about what's happening. You've got your sort of jobs and you guys are working really well. And then fatigue starts sort of creep into it. Did you see sort of signs and symptoms from yourself firstly? Yeah, definitely. Because it's like, you can only run so long off adrenaline and nicotine, as you know. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, once you get to about, I think, yeah, the three or fourth day mark is when it really sort of started to hit people. Um, not just the physical fatigue, but you've got like the mental and emotional fatigue because like 24 hours a day, you're just seeing absolute human suffering. Um, a lot of it, which we had zero capacity to deal with. Um, the Taliban will be doing their thing out, out the front of the airport, just shooting up random groups of people. And we had no power to deal with that um, because our job was just, uh, we need to help who we can um, and being those Australian visa holders and the like. Um, and then, yeah, just... It was just dealing with the injuries and such of people coming through and the emotions of the refugees is just something that you can't prepare for. Um, and I, I noticed for myself particularly about the fourth, third or fourth day, I sort of hit a wall. Um, I'd say more mentally fatiguing than physically. And it got to the point where I was trying to deliver some orders to a couple of my lads to go out and find this like VIP and what the like. And I just couldn't, couldn't get my head around what I was trying to say. And it was at that point where one of my soldiers was like, hey, mate, you need to fucking sit down for a minute. Yeah, and yeah. You, just, you need to sit down and just take a break. And I just was like, yeah, okay, here's the task. Um, I trust you can do it. Go get it done. And I just sort of sat to the side and um, just took myself away from the environment as much as possible for about 20 minutes or so. And, yeah, from there I just sort of quick release. But and then, then. Yeah, 100%, yeah. And um, I remember just talking to this young American refugee and she was just probably 10 years old or so and she sort of just got me out of the mindset of like, holy, like this is horrible situation and sort of made me realise the the positives of it again mm. and then I was immediately just back on board. and Yeah, yeah sort of maybe reinvigorated the goal of yeah, why you're there. 100%, yeah. yeah. So in, in the first episode we talked about like the purpose and understanding the mission or the, the reason why you're doing mm. what you're doing. So... Um, it, it is important to, to emphasize not only to yourself but to, to your, your crew and your um, your section about what you're trying to achieve. And mm. um, you spoke there about the Taliban doing their own thing. I was in Afghanistan for three months, and I had 11 months worth of pre-deployment. You know, you, you had your um, uh, rules of engagement when you come across these guys, or and I didn't see any Taliban when I was there. Mm. I, like you probably saw them. And, yeah, and yeah. that's that blows my blows my mind. Like, yeah. 
you know, the whole time that we're in Afghanistan, if you come across these guys, this is what you do. Or if, they, you know, this is what they're doing, they've got guns. and mm. You can engage them. But yeah. your situation, I'm not sure if you're allowed to talk about it, it that mm. dynamic must have been frustratingly yeah. yeah it was It was really weird is probably the best way to describe <laughs> it. It was really weird. I, like, I had, a, had a full conversation with a Taliban member in perfect English at one point. Wow. And he was, he was just sitting up on top of this Connex holding an AK. I'm just like, this, this is just not anything that you sort of prepare for. Like, this is the enemy. And now we're sort of working with them, sort of. Again. Like, it, it was that weird sort of line. And it was, we couldn't engage them, for instance, because it's like, that's just not the mission yeah. for starters. And, like, the chaos that that would have caused if a member of the coalition just lit up a Taliban in that situation. Um, yeah, it wasn't really appropriate. I mean, there was like, on occasions where there was contacts at the gates and yep. such, um, but that was mainly ANA deserters and um, ISIS members attacking oh, the ANA and the Americans and the Germans and such. Um, that was mainly the North Gate, though. Um, the Abbey Gate itself was pretty controlled. The Taliban sort of had a lot of influence there to stop a lot of this sort of occurring. Um, but, yeah, the... Yeah, I think weird is the best way to describe it. When you're having a conversation with the enemy about helping you get that particular refugee through the gate, it's just odd. Right? Yeah, I, I, it's yeah. A, an amazing, complex situation that you know you have to be there to, to know what yeah. it's like. And the other big threat there, and we heard about tragically, that was a massive um, IED that went yeah. off amongst you know crowds of people and that's another element to the the dangers of, of what's going on um so i think that's it's a lot of luck involved that we weren't yeah. there at the time and we didn't lose any of the lads um but yeah there was constant so that's another thing that just sort of keeps you peaking the entire time is it's like another threat would come down or no we can sort of pay that off now and then another threat will come down so even when you are having your break you're not having a break switched off you're yeah. still there thinking you're still hearing gunshots you're still hearing crying and screaming so it's that constant 24 7 just pressure on you to not do anything stupid or wrong yeah. and get someone killed or anything like that yeah that's a lot of weight yeah. to, to bear and yeah. having all of those challenges and obstacles and and threats there it, as we you pointed out before that three to four day mark that fatigue really starts to chip away at mm. that 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 sort of a, adrenaline like you can't sustain that for yeah. long so when when that starts to happen what what sort of strategies were you using to for your for your team yeah so at first um the best we sort of could do was it would you would just force people to go have half an hour to an hour break somewhere whether it was in the back of a ute in the back of a bus just on the side of the road with the refugees um, nothing's ideal. Um, we didn't really have a good rest um, plan at that stage because um, that's probably, it's more, they were definitely on the commands, like us as commanders, because we had just so much going on. Our focus was not on our own purse fatigue management at that point because it's something that isn't really touched on, especially in a, such a short notice, short duration, high tempo task. It's sort of, the mentality was, Oh, we're just going to bang it in and get this job done. <laughs> and once we're done, we're done. But at about that, yeah, three to four day mark, um, we just sort of realised that if we're going to sustain this without 
like proper burnout, proper mistakes. burnout, and yeah, just mistakes and um, just the risk factor. Like we're we're still transporting in vehicles, women and children and families. Like if we crash one of these cars with a potentially twenty refugees in the back of it, like that's not an not an ideal situation. And uh, the one of the big eye openers for me was yeah, about, um, I think it was the fourth day. Me and another section commander, we were driving back from dropping off some refugees and we both zoned out completely and almost T-boned an American armoured truck. <laughs> so that was sort of like, okay, yeah, we need to, we need to think about this yep. a bit more and actually get a plan together. And, and what was that plan? So um, we essentially, it got up to high that what we were doing was not sustainable. And um, then about two hours post that, um, the RSM comes in with a plan of this because there was a little hotel right near the abbey gate that the uh british paratroopers were operating out of so when they would have their rest they would just send lads in there and just have a little dingy hotel room have a shower all that sort of stuff and uh we essentially bought rooms we bought i think two or three rooms in this hotel you still had to pay for it yeah yeah, yeah. they they found some u.s (laughs) currency somewhere i don't know um but yeah so we bought it off this whoever owned it and then we started our proper uh, rest rotation cycle, essentially, and would send lads in there for a few hours a day, maximum probably four to six hours if you're lucky. And um, they'd go in there, and we called it the Oasis because you'd open up this gate and then you'd shut it, and it was like you're in a different world. There's kids playing in the little park. like there's this, It's unreal. And, um, yeah, so that was probably the only time you could actually switch off because you didn't even think you were in Afghanistan when you got there. Uh, it was pretty surreal, to be honest. So on the Oasis, we've got this amazing photo, which will be attached into the, the podcast, but also in, ingrained into a, a case study. Um, just to the, the listeners out there that can't see it, the, the photo is all you guys sort of racked out in a circle with an Australian flag, beautifully placed in the middle, might I add. Boots are off, you know, kipping out. There's guys with like socks over their eyes so they can get some shut eye. It's the middle of the day. Lots of green trees, didn't really uh, see too much of that in Afghanistan, but um, it is uh, a pretty amazing photo. So can you tell me a little bit about like who's in it, like what's going on here? Yeah, so um, that was, I think, the first time we got to enjoy the Oasis and essentially that's um, my, me and my section and a few other lads, whoever um, could have a break at the time, um, we were sort of brought in there and uh, our, our OC at the time mate basically said, all right, lads, this is your first and only opportunity for a little while to get some rest. Um, I'm going to watch over you, make sure that, you know nothing gets stolen or goes missing or any of the like, and uh, just rack out and get some sleep. So, um, yeah, it, it's the first time that we actually probably got some proper rest in about three or four days, and that's just the lads getting amongst it. Just doing work. <laughs> an actual, like, really important part of, of that whole operation. Yeah, 100%. Is to take it when you can get it. And and how did that come about? Like, were you just walking past it and you're like, oh, that looks comfy. It's in the shade. Um, like, yeah, so we were basically, yeah, we're just wandering around in the oasis and we saw grass for the first time in, yeah, days and we just jumped on it. And it was one of the only spots that was comfy and shady and uh, we basically yeah. just decided that's our little corner of heaven. And uh, we just made the most of it. Yeah, and the security situation in that time, like, you know, of, often, you know, you, guns out, face out, on your guts, all that sort of thing. Was that happening or was that more? Um, so the actual 
the hotel oasis, whatever you want to call it itself, was actually secured by the two para regiment of the British forces. So the area itself was completely secure. So once you're in there, you're, you're pretty well safe. Um, and then we just had that little bit of added security of um, our yeah, OC was just watching over us just to make sure, like, I know a kid doesn't come and take your rifle or something stupid. Um, but, yeah, just to ensure that we got enough rest so we could get back out on task, he sort of just stood watch over us for about two and a half, three hours, I believe. And, um, yeah, that's how we got the photo. Yeah, right. That's a, a pretty – it's such an amazing photo because, you know, obviously you can see you're all absolutely buggered, but also it, it explains what's wh- why it's so important to get that rest. Mm. In, in such a sort of an oasis or a, a, a nest, you could call it as well. And, but your OC obviously saw the opportunity there to, to help you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And can you, can you explain, was it his call or was it sort of your? Uh, it was definitely his call. So he, um, this is when we first just started our sort of rest rotation and uh, it was still a bit not really sure how we we're going to run it. And he sort of just came in and was like, nah, this is what's going to occur. Um, rack out, lads. That's all. That's it. There's nothing else. Just get some sleep. Like, it's battle prep. Well, one of the main important things for battle prep is rest. And so he saw that as an opportunity of him just to take charge and make sure we got what we needed so we could go back on task and he can worry about himself later, basically. Yeah. <laughs> were, you, were you on rat, rat packs while you were there? Uh, yeah, so it was, it was a bit hit and miss. So we were bouncing between rations, American rations, um, random aid rations that would come in like it was pretty it was a bit like find what you can situation and you're just dealing with individual meals or were you just making like a big crock pot um <laughs> yeah it was sort of like we we're just having individual meals and um, because it was very much time sensitive so you just eat on the go basically yeah. so like when we were sitting in the oasis lads would cook up a proper meal but i mean we didn't have any cooking facilities or anything yeah. like that so they were just make some sort of mess out of the ration pack. That's sustenance. I guess that's, that's <laughs> yeah. what's required. It is uh, important to have that rest, obviously. Um, and the Oasis itself, um, was it a pretty place? Or? So, that, yeah, that particular spot right in the centre of it was that little garden sort of area with a nice fountain in it. There's a couple of kids playing off in the background. It was just, it was surreal. It was nothing like outside that gate, um, completely different. And, um, yeah, it's quite... It's just a weird situation. So when when you started to notice that you and the other section commander needed to sort out this rest and recovery plan and, and the, the command, did you feel like your your team was being was communicating that well with you? Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's it's a difficult sort of topic with the boys at times because everyone just wants to keep working, especially mm. in a situation like that. And you never like, you never want to be the first guy to be like, Oh, I need a break corporal. Um, but the beauty of it was we had such a really good team dynamic and rapport with both higher and lower that they weren't afraid to come and tell you that you need a break. And once that sort of started happening, they, they sort of started to work out. It's like, all right, if corporal so-and-so is knackered here, I reckon just about every soldier here is knackered, yep. including higher. So that trust, I reckon. Yeah, hundred percent. And but and then it works both ways though. So it's like you have to be able to trust your soldiers to come to you, but you also need their trust so you can tell higher that no, 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 like we need to sort something out here. And um, we we're very fortunate because um, our RCT that we deployed with, we were very close net, we we're very tight, and our chain of command was very 
uh, interpersonal, very good communication between higher and lower. So as a corporal, like, you weren't afraid to come up to your OC and be like, hey, sir, this is fucked, we need a break. Um, or even the CO, for instance. So, like, he would come around on the regular and not necessarily enforce the rest rotation, but just make sure that we're not just overburdening ourselves. And it's um, one of the lads has a good point. So you, as a commander, you need to check your ego with it. So if I could work myself to death, but then what? Mm-hmm. Then there's not a section commander to help the lads out and deal with this situation. So it's as a commander, you really need to check your ego to the point of I'm knackered. I'll yeah. take a break. Yes, that accountability piece individually, yeah, but definitely. also across across the team, and I yeah. think that's really important. And and like, I think so many situations can be avoided with great communication. Mm. And it sounds like the team dynamics within your squad, with the platoon, and then all the way up to the squadron and the RSM coming in and, and making that plan was, you know, it saved lives. It yeah, it I um, think you know, so. s- solved issues. It you know you're not fighting each other because sometimes <laughs> you know fatigue you got quick fuses and mm. i remember um my th- the situation that led up to my uh injury in afghanistan where we were so fatigued that comms didn't break down but like you pointed out you didn't want to be the first one to to say show weakness is probably yeah, the, the um, best way of putting it it's not weakness it's actually your body telling you there's there's something wrong here mm. and you need to fix it but the lack of communication that happens when you're fatigued is, is somewhat of a an issue that we need to be more comfortable mm. with in ourselves and in, in checking the ego to, to make sure that the accountability of yourself in order to perform collectively as a team is, is so important 100 percent, yeah yeah how long were you actually there so we were in Afghanistan for about seven or eight days. And then from there, we stayed in AMAB to run the refugee camps for a further few weeks. And then we came back. So I think all up, it was something about 28 days. Okay. Good all up. So yeah. a nice, yeah, quick, quick, short, but definitely high tempo sort of operation. And once you got back into AMAB for that, you know, <laughs> being taken out of that crazy situation, that place, was it still going on as you found it? As you, when you left in the airport, um, or yeah, did, or did it calm down? It sort of, a it, bit? it definitely calmed down a lot, um, uh, especially with the refugees themselves. They mm. were, they were safe. Yep. They felt safe, so the tempo for them was dramatically lower, which of course means ours can just calm right down. And um, it was a good opportunity to sort of deal with that mental and emotional fatigue. Um, when you got back so because it's not everything going on at once so i noticed that i was probably more fatigued for the first 24 hours of getting out of afghanistan than i was any time there because it finally just sort of all comes together and you're just like yeah right yeah massive breath yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, definitely yeah um it's it's a remarkable situation Mm. i think um it would have been unique in every situation but we've you know we saw in the vietnam war of the evacuation of the u.s embassy on top like similar situation yeah. there and i'm sure it would have happened in all the wars previous in certain places so but the the speed in which we can get to a, any corner of the world at the moment to assist yeah. um you know, australian interests is, is pretty remarkable mm-hmm. so um 
yeah, with a culmination of different assets being at Air Force and Navy and all, all that stuff. So it's pretty amazing. Now, looking back at your time there, do, do you have like, this is the one thing that I learned about it or, or the key takeaways or is there something you regret or is I don't know, like, you know, you tell me. I definitely, yeah. So a few definite key takeaways are it's if we didn't have such a good team dynamic and communication within our smaller teams all the way up to our uh, combat team levels or um, from the CO down to the private soldier, I doubt we'd be able to achieve the task we did. Um, just having be able to trust and rely on the boys to get the job done and if they needed a break they would actually come and tell you or if you needed a break they would tell you that you need to sit down for a minute and just so that's the only way we could have dealt with that situation because there was realistically there was no good plan on fatigue management there but we did the best of what we got um, and that sort of leads into my sort of second big one is that it needs to be more on the priority list from the get-go um, being fatigue management because if we got in there immediately said started a rotation between the soldiers I don't think we would have ever hit that I think we would have eventually hit a wall of like yeah we're knackered but it might have been at the end of the operation as opposed to halfway through where we're like okay we need to start thinking about this so if we had a proper plan from the get-go of just Charlie section is going to be on rest while the other two are working and just maintaining that throughout the whole time a bit more structure to it and having it, yeah, just higher on a priority list of how to deal with these sort of high-tempo, short-notice tasks, I think that would have just made the entire operation a bit more streamlined, a bit more smooth, and um, a bit more achievable. I guess it's pretty hard as a commander when you get boots on the ground. That's when you're invite you get situation awareness. You, yeah. you know what's going. You see it. You can feel it. You can smell it. Um, all that sort of thing, and, and then you can see what's happening as it goes. But yeah, you know prior preparation prevents piss poor performance like yeah exactly right yeah, yeah. Um, and not not that you didn't perform well i think mm. you did a f amazing job and yeah. um you know mission achieved and got everyone back safe and mm. that was that was the goal so thank you so much quinn for, for joining us and sharing your insights and experiences um in your time on the operation in Kabul and, and getting uh the, the australian interests and, and refugees back home safe and um yeah, cheers for having, no, having me on. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Until next time, thank you for joining us on The Slouch.